Classical Dialogues, a podcast from Oakdale Academy in Waterford, Michigan. This is a time for those in the classical Christian education movement to grow and learn from each other and to help others know more about this form of education that focuses our students on the love, appreciation, and study of those things that are good, true, and beautiful. From Oakdale Academy, welcome to this episode of Classical Dialogues. Welcome back. Again, on this episode of Classical Dialogues, I am joined by Mrs. Rosemond Tabor. She is the department head for our rhetoric school. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. So we always have tried to start these podcasts by just give us an idea of your academic background and how you came to be here at Oakdale Academy. Okay. Well, I always like to hail back to my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in Brooklyn um, and went to Catholic schools, actually, all the way through eighth grade. I think they set a good foundation for writing well and learning well, but then wound up going to one of the specialized high schools in Brooklyn, New York, Brooklyn Technical High School. Those high schools that you have to test in to get into in New York, are there are three of them. And this was the one that was closest to my home. I was so happy to be able to attend Brooklyn Tech because I, I had such an interest in the sciences. And what they do is after your first two years, it's kind of like college. They have you major in something, so, right. you know, in quotes major. And I majored in the physical sciences program. So I, I had a lot of exposure to really great science teachers. But not only that, they had a wonderful, those back in the days when they had wonderful English teachers as well. So I read Shakespeare and had teachers that made connections between classical, uh, the older classical books like Homer and The Wizard of Oz. So hmm. it was a wonderful education, yeah. really well-rounded, which then opened the door for me to be able to attend and graduate from Yale University in chemical engineering science. I originally went in there pre-med, gung-ho, ready yeah. to go take on the medical communities, heal all the children. Right, right. (laughs) But I I had to learn very quickly that where I was in my ranking in high school couldn't match. Didn't translate over. Yeah, it didn't translate. So uh, with some good counseling, uh, academic counseling, I wound up going into um, engineering and majoring in the engineering, chemical engineering science program that they had there, which was for people who were not really wanting to get into the industry of chemical engineering, but maybe a little bit varies. It gave opportunity to go into other areas as well. Okay, yeah. Do you still root for Yale over Harvard? Absolutely. Excellent. Bulldogs all the way. (laughs) (laughs) So then I uh, was hired out of Yale um, by General Motors, and that's how I wound up in Michigan. And I worked at the Proving Grounds in uh, Milford, Michigan, yay, Milford, in chemical technology and corrosion, corrosion technology. And I mention all of this because it all led me to here, to be here in Michigan, where I finally came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I really didn't know the Lord before. So this was a great place for me. Michigan yeah. holds my heart very dearly. So Wonderful. Mm-hmm. But you also went back 
eventually. I remember when we first met, looking through your resume, looking through your, your application, mm-hmm. you have a, a certificate in phlebotomy. Yes. If I remember correctly. Yes, that did Which come. you know I can only talk about for so long. I know. Right. I, I actually yeah. thought about that, not, not mentioning it because I was a little concerned <laughs> right. about what my If you hear a thud on the podcast, <laughs> I can only talk about that for so long. We don't want that crazy. to happen. No, we don't want that to happen. So if there is a little in between where I... I do have that certificate in phlebotomy because I didn't want to let go of the dream of going into the medical field. Okay. But the Lord had other things yeah. in mind. Yeah. So I, I did that certificate here in Michigan after homeschooling my, my children for many years. I actually was hired by American Red Cross. But the, the season was a place where we were at a fork in the road with our youngest and wanted him to have the security of having mom around still, which I wouldn't be if I was working in uh, that field, which I will not mention (laughs) much of. And so I made the decision and was given the opportunity to be here as a part-time teacher. Right. So I stayed here as a a part-time teacher. In between that, or before that, uh, I did go to Regent University to get a master's in, in teaching and education and teaching and a missions minor, that was a really formative season of my life. I grew in the Lord. I studied about education from a Christian perspective, albeit not classical, but still with that foundation of Christ at the center of, of learning. And so when I went into teaching in Virginia Beach, I was gung ho, excited, wound up teaching at a Christian school that happened to be teaching in a more classical way, even yeah. though I didn't really understand what that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And then in the ensuing years that you've been here, you now serve as the department head for the rhetoric school or what many people know as high school. Mm-hmm. You've been in that position for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you reflect back on that year or maybe look ahead to the next year, maybe it's a question this way. How would you explain the importance of what we do in the rhetoric school to either a current family or maybe a new family who's who's wondering they keep saying this classical but i don't mm-hmm. i've only heard about it i don't really know what it all means mm-hmm. what's what's the importance to what we do in the rhetoric school for families wow it's it's so important it's the the culmination of everything mm-hmm. that these students have been learning especially if they've gone through the grammar school, which is our youngest grade logic school. And now they're, they're high schoolers and they are, they're synthesizing everything that they've learned, all of the concepts and ideas and facts that were just information. Now, what do I make of all of this? And what Uh position do I take in these ideas that have been presented to me? And that, that's really, it's really heavy stuff, <laughs> basically, that we're, we're instilling character, truth, and wisdom, but we, right now, they're, they're taking it in. This is where yeah. now they can turn around and synthesize it and then let us know what they believe, what, how, they, how they stand on these things and make arguments for what they believe. Yeah, it's, it's really, and I love that you brought up grammar and logic phases and what we do here because we, we always t- 
tell parents and we remind ourselves and our parents and certainly the students it's a process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that process is truncated depending on when students enter. Mm -hmm. But ideally it's a 13 to 14 year process to get through the rhetoric school and 12th grade and, and graduation. As you think about the academics and the rigor of the academics, uh, a lot of times parents, maybe even students, say, well, we hear a lot about rigor, we experience the rigor, but it's almost always about the rigor. It's always about how hard academics are. Mm-hmm. We also talk a lot about virtue cultivation. Can you talk a little bit about how does virtue training and virtue work into the academics of the rhetoric school here? Well, I, I think virtue is really a big part of the inward values that we want to see our students then express outwardly. We want to see their character shaped by the rigor. It's a big part of helping them to become that fully flourishing human being that we want them to be. Without the rigor, well, it's just information learning. And we know that there's a huge computer program that can do that. Yes, right. So ChatGPT is not a human being. And so virtue is what distinguishes human beings from mere automatons and just knowing information. You have no value, you have no ethic, then what are you? And that's why the virtues are very important. In a way, we are not simply mass producing even students here. Mm -hmm. We're trying to show them what it is to be a flourishing human and ultimately how they impact the world, as we would say in a classical anti-Christian school, how they impact the world for Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as they go forth from here, which mm-hmm. is, we often talk about on our team, that terrifying moment in some aspects when they cross the stage at graduation, now they need to start making all of their choices to some extent. I mean, certainly right. parents are still greatly involved, but they're, right. they're more or less adults at that point. And We're hoping and praying, of course, that they make the best choices and the good choices, but knowing that they'll stumble Mm -hmm. in life as we all do, Mm -hmm. but that virtue is supposed to ground them to who they are. And that they'll always come back to that. Right. It's foundational. So if they have that ingrained in them and trained in them through these years of rigor, and there's joy in it too. Let me not just paint this negative picture because there's definite, I can give examples from classes that I've taught and I've, that I've observed of students coming to a place of joy through the rigor, but they have to come back to it. You're right. They're trained to it, but then they make those choices. So we've talked around in, in direct topics, but we, we've mentioned classical Christian education. Mm-hmm. And I've found in the amount of people that I've had conversation with or that I've heard speak a speaker at a summer conference even this past summer said there are probably as, as many definitions of classical Christian education as there are classical Christian educators or parents or students. So I'm curious how, how you might describe classical Christian education from your vantage point as a department head in the rhetoric school. Well, that's interesting because as first I have to come to it as a parent right? because yeah. I first had my son here in earlier grades well, we would have logic school now, I guess, grammar school, logic school grades. And I really did not know 
how to define what we were in. I just knew it was good. It was very good. Right. And it felt like home because we were homeschooling with a Semite curriculum, which is very much Charlotte Mason based. So it didn't feel far away from that, but there were things I was hearing that I I didn't really have an understanding. So I started reading the books about classical Christian education. I thought, oh, this this is fascinating. An education that uses time tested literature and written texts, ancient texts or disciplines to help students grow in their awe of God's creation and love of Jesus Christ and to become the kind of people that, yes, the companies want to hire because they have moral principles, they have virtues. So that's how I would define it. It's going to mesh together all of the beautiful concepts and ideas from ancient texts and take those and glean the good out of them to help you become a virtuous person. I like that phrase to glean the good. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's really, that's a really nice way to put it because you, you want to train them to be able to look at anything and and find if there's good there and glean, glean that good from it. I'm glad you like that. I just made that up. No, it's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my, my, well, I guess I'm saying the definition keeps changing right, it because does. as we, right. that's why there's so many different definitions yeah. because we we keep learning about right. what is it really producing. Right, and it's it's so different than what what other schools do. Mm-hmm. Not not that they're not doing good. Even mm-hmm. even private schools that would not be classical are doing good things, mm-hmm. but we continue to focus on those transcendent concepts of good, true, and beautiful, mm-hmm. and we're constantly experiencing new ways that things are beautiful uh, as we learn more and as we develop ourselves. I think the phrase lifelong learner has been hijacked uh, by others in times, but uh, the, the concept of a classical education is that you never stop learning. You're, you're constantly learning new things and wonder, uh, wondering about new things. So my last question is one that knowing you and getting to know you better over the last few years, I'm, uh, I'm nervous to see how long of a list you might have of books that you have read recently, because oh. I know of one thing of, for certain about you is that you are a voracious reader. <laughs> I reluctantly even mentioned book titles because I'm sure that within a few minutes you'll be on a website ordering books. <laughs> but I, I know there have been some foundational things that are that are important to you. But recently, there's, has there been anything of great influence that you'd point out to people as a Hey, if you if you have time, this is the book you need to read. Oh, I'm scouring your bookshelves actually. <laughs> as I was sitting here, funny you said that. I thought, oh, I wonder what he's reading. Yeah. maybe I should. This get is one my of smaller those. pile right here. Uh, oh, that, that I'm going through. I saw that there. Oh, yeah. what is that? Okay, yeah. Well, I like to read many books. You're right. Uh, right now, the two books, interestingly, they're they're not content area books, but um, they are books that are informing about. Well, let me just tell you, love thy body. Mm-hmm. by Nancy Piercy. And Love Thy Body is, uh, I-, I would say, the book that if parents have a book that they want to read, to find out what's going on in the worldview of, of this generation, yeah. the youngest generations, and why people feel the way they do about all the major issues that we consider 
the moral issues that are on the table right now, this would be the book. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Great recommendation. Mm -hmm. And the other book I'm reading, yeah, there is another. Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness by Eric Metaxas. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, it's a quick read, but then you want to read more about each right. of the men he talks about. Right. Yeah. Here's a, a compliment of seven women yes. that you should read. Oh, about, uh, I didn't know that. Book. Yeah. Ooh, thanks. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd get another book for yes. you. Yes. So, well, I just want to, I want to thank you. So our, again, our goal to back to our listeners is to give a, a small snapshot from folks here at Oakdale. And then as we continue dialogue with, with others outside of our community that are, that are leaders or influencers in the classical Christian education movement. And as this movement continues to grow and continues to expand, we want to make sure that we're connecting folks as much as possible in our small way, but also reinforcing for our families. Uh, here at Oakdale and for those who are on the edge of whether they they want to dive into this classical Christian world or whether they just want to learn more about it and try and provide some small resources. Of course, if you happen to live in the metro Detroit area and are interested in or intrigued by what this means in my conversation with Mrs. Tabor uh, today, then encourage you to seek us out. We are at oakdaleacademy.com. You may always Email us with questions, admissions at oakdaleacademy.com, and you can set up a tour of the building. We'd be happy to talk much, much more with you. We, we would refer you also to a couple uh, larger organizations that, from a nationwide, broader perspective, the Association of Classical Christian Schools and the Society for Classical Learning, uh, as well as the Hillsdale College K-12 uh, website that, that have a lot of resources about primers on classical Christian education, as well as uh, different schools across the country, if you don't happen to live near us, that could certainly help you out. With that, Mrs. Tabor, thanks again for joining this episode of Classical Dialogues as we continue to broaden our own understanding of classical Christian education. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Welcome to this faculty spotlight uh, here on Classical Dialogues. And as always on these faculty spotlights, we'd like to highlight one of our teachers here at Oakdale, and I'm pleased to have Mr. Dan Reynolds join us. Mr. Reynolds uh, is in, a, in his first year here uh, at Oakdale as one of our logic school teachers, specifically in the literature area. So Mr. Reynolds, welcome. Yes, thank you, Dr. Stanton. I'm very happy to be here. Excited to be uh, voluntold a little yeah. bit on this <laughs> yes. podcast. No, but it was, it's a good thing. Um, I guess a little bit about me. Yes, I am new to uh, teaching classically, but the ideas of classical education and Christian education specifically go pretty deep with me. I was a kid always going to Sunday school and um, required to go to the youth group activities on the weekend even, and then throughout my life, uh, continued on with that. I ended up going to Hillsdale College, which is where I became a little more uh, rigorous and formal in my classical Christian education, which is actually the uh, slightly roundabout way that brought me to Oakdale specifically. So um, uh, personal background, which kind of indicates how I got here. I was working in uh, politics for many years in D.C., as a communications director, as a public affairs director, 
wore many different hats in politics. You kind of have to pick them up and run with them as you go. Uh, but I was mostly a writer, editor, um, and mostly during the pandemic, I realized I don't want to be living in DC anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to get out of here and uh, moved back to Michigan, took a few different odd jobs and was looking at the Hillsdale alumni board, actually. Um, all right, of course, I want to work for a place that resonates with me, works with my life's mission and how that, um, how I see that. And Oakdale Academy was on there. And I remember tilting my head when I first saw it. Huh, this seems kind of interesting. Didn't know this school existed. This is very near where I grew up and live and live currently. Um, so came and met Dr. Stanton and he introduced me to all the great work that's being done here at, at Oakdale. And um, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, if I can put in a, just a shameless plug for you, um, I remember the day you showed up. It was such a rarity now that you showed up with a resume in hand and asked if you could spend five minutes, which is just everyone does everything online electronically. And uh, as people here on uh, in our community get to know you, I think that's one of the one of the great things that impressed me from the beginning is you have a very personable. Uh, approach to you maybe it was your days in politics i'm not sure uh, it, but, it could be it yeah. could be there's a way there's a, a method to the madness yes. let's say yeah. but i remember seeing on the application the various options to return the application either via email letter uh, mail regular mail or turn it in in person which stood out to me yes. as huh that's interesting they even had that as an option in this world and i sat there pondering well, of course, I'm going to take that option. Yeah. Yep. No, it was a great moment. It really was. I, I actually have told people at national conferences about that. Like, if, I appreciate if you that. put that in there, every now and then you'll have somebody somebody do that. And what a great moment. Well, I, I guess that's part of the connection, too, with my own personal philosophy and the way I view the world. I am my own way about myself, trying to be a little more classical and old school. And personable is probably a word for that as well. Um, so when I saw that, yes, I would definitely wanted to yeah. jump at um, that opportunity. But so far, so good. Yeah. So you're you're a few months into your first year teaching, and undoubtedly, you've thought back to being a student. Perhaps as you look around your classroom, maybe you think about yourself and some of your students. But uh, maybe a memorable moment from your own time as a student, whether K twelve or even your time at Hillsdale, that's kind of impacted you as you as you've thought through these last few months. Yeah, I think. Uh, there can't just be one one moment, but I go back to many moments of uh, not eureka moments, but were these these moments where I thought it was this way, and my teacher sort of let me go along that path yeah. and talk about it and think about it, and then elicit my fellow students to tell me how much I was wrong <laughs> and sort of the power of Socratic dialogue in that sense that, um, and those lessons have sat with me a lot more than just someone talking at me, let's yeah. say. So I, as best I can, even with just, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth graders, I very much try to stick within the Socratic dialogue world. And just the other day, not to name names or anything, but a student, um, I allowed her to walk down this path of, wrong opinion in my in my opinion of uh, a take on a um, a book we were reading and uh after a while i brought a couple of people and it's funny because she's the type of student where she's normally right about many of these things so many of her students started backing her up yeah yeah i agree too (laughs) what do you guys think yeah i agree i went well i disagree because of this (laughs) and tried to lay out that argument and 
uh, that student even sat came after class and was like, why did you let me make all those arguments? And I said, well, now you, are you going to forget this point? No, I don't think I ever will. Yeah, yeah good so times. Things yeah. like that um, really sit with me. Excellent. Well, as we as we wrap up just this quick faculty spotlight, we always ask uh, a book other than the Bible that, uh, that you're reading. You know you're reading a lot more uh, with teaching yeah. literature. Uh, so one that you're reading or recently have read that, that you would recommend to our audience is impactful for you. Yeah, a book I'd recommend. Um, it's called The Great Emergence. Um, I don't have the author title in front of me. It was actually recommended to me by my pastor. And it's about the ebbs and it's about a couple main themes. The first one being the ebbs and flows of Christianity over the last 2000 years. And it makes it is in lockstep with a lot of other philosophy that every 500 years, there's sometimes like this, you know, change or, you know, more of a, we had the great reformation and things like that. Mm-hmm. And those all kind of line up with a 500 year um, cadence, but the great emergence is discussing what's been happening these days in a little more, um, uh, the, the trials and tribulations and what is going to come out on the other side of it. Um, and I found it to be a very insightful read. Excellent. The Great Emergence. Excellent. We'll have to, <clears throat> have to look that one up. So, uh, well, Mr. Round, thanks thanks for taking a few minutes to join us on this faculty spotlight. To our audience, uh, thank you as always for listening to Classical Dialogues. If you want to hear more about Oakdale Academy, I always encourage you to visit our website, oakdaleacademy.com. And it is admissions uh, season. So admissions are open for the 24-25 school year. So you can register for our open house in January or check out any of the things about classical education again at oakdaleacademy.com or you can email us admissions at oakdaleacademy.com. But thank you for joining us on this episode of Classical Dialogues. Thanks for having me, Dr. Stanton. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome.